0: Take a little foray into the Psalms. For those of you hooked on phonics, the Psalms. Right? When you were a kid in Sunday school and they told you to please read the passage for the first time and you saw that and you said, Psalms 25. Well, we know the book. You've read this book. You've heard it. You've these songs, these psalms, uh, you've, uh, you've said them, and you've heard them, and you've sung them, you've quoted them, some of you have memorized some of them. You know that according to BibleGateway.com, when they tabulate the stats on which of the books of the Bible are most frequently accessed by people, They say that number one is the Psalms. People around the world looking up Bible verses on that website, the Psalms leads the list. What is this collection, though? So we're going to sort of introduce or reintroduce this book, this collection, this ancient hymn book, by really what are Israel's Poets Laureate, sort of. These are inspired song lyrics, They've been translated and sung into thousands of languages. People in all kinds of tongues sing them. There's theology in them, so they're, they're sort of like theology in song form. And uh, you could call this series The Music of Truth, which is what I'll call it, because I like it, The Music of Truth. So, you know, the Psalms, everybody knows it's sort of that big, long book that's right smack in the middle. So that whenever, if a Bible sort of just falls open, kind of in the middle somewhere, if gravity just kind of makes it fall open, I mean, there's a good chance it opens to a Psalm somewhere. It's the it's it's the middle point where you start if you're trying to look up a book real fast, like Bible drilling. It's like boom, go to the Psalms, and then you go east or west. It's that middle point is sort of like an anchor in the middle. So, for for all the entire history of the church, the Psalms have been vitally Taught and memorized and treasured by the church. So in the fourth century, Athanasius said that the Psalms are, quote, an epitome of the whole Scriptures. His contemporary, his fellow bishop Basil of Caesarea, said that even though Psalms is poetry, he said it is still a compendium of all theology. You might think, so that the Reformers, you know, uh, were mostly New Testament guys. they were into that New Testament theology. But really, you find out when you read the Reformers that they love the Psalms. They teach and quote them all the time. Calvin said that the Psalms are like a mirror to the soul. You read the Psalms, you learn a lot about you, even while you're mostly learning about God. Luther said that the Psalms are like a little Bible by itself. Sort of like all the teaching and belief of the Old Testament in the form of songs meant to be sung. Luther, you know, was a professor at Wittenberg. We all know, yeah, he taught on Romans. That's part of what led him where he ended up to to his critical moment. But, you know, he also taught at Wittenberg on the Psalms. He was teaching those too. And those were influencing him as well. One historian said that while uh, Romans gave Luther his theology... He said the Psalms gave Luther a lot of his language and emotion, a lot of the lyrical power of what he would write. He's from the Psalms. And so all throughout, the brightest minds and the, the, the greatest saints who wrote songs, of course, and also other kinds of works, they were close to the Psalms. You may not even know that, for example, one of C.S. Lewis' works, you might not even know this, is called Reflections on the Psalms, it sold a lot of copies. It sold a whole lot of copies. So here they are. Then the name from Greek, right? Because the old Septuagint, symbolized by the LXX there, because it's called seventy, which is a whole another long story that I've told you before, and I won't tell you right now why it's called that. By the way, the Greek word Psalmoi is is the alternate word. It's sort of the same thing. Is psalterion. So you will see sometimes the word the psalter. Especially in older writings. Uh, If you grew up in church, you ever hear that? The psalter. And sometimes people wonder well what's that? How's that different than the Psalms? It's not. It's just another word. It's synonymous. It's just two Greek variations of the word. So there's an old fashioned reference to the Psalms. Is sometimes calling it the psalter. But don't get hung up if you ever see it. And it's a musical term, having to do with instruments and the plucking of instruments. They say, and it's uh, it's really it really is musical. I mean, it's meant these were supposed to be sung. So in the original Hebrew, you get this name telehim. It's always plural, right? If you you see oi at the end of Greek words, that's plural. Uh, when you see im at the end of Hebrew words, that's always plural. The Goyim. The people, it's plural. When you talk about races of people, like remember the Nephilim, because there's a bunch of them? It's a book of Psalms, even though that word there is uh, only found in one place, that word, tehelim in the actual Psalms, whereas the word for song, Mismor, is found lots and lots of times throughout the Psalms. Well, let me show you some some facts about it. You might know them, but let's just get a little picture here. So 150 individual Psalms. It's a long book, and some of the Psalms are super-duper long. Some of them aren't that long. They're, they're poetry. So they're, they're, they're lyric. And they're, a lot of them voice prayers and a bunch of other things. And they're supposed to be set to music. Well, what the music sound like? Well, nobody recorded it originally. So we don't really know. But we know how they sound in a lot of our own music. And by the way, I think every culture is invited to make its own music and set the psalms to that music. Well, that's what we do. And so they're musical. By the way, a lot of those little titles that you see... In the Psalms where it'll say little things. You might think sometimes, "Ah, somebody probably added that later. But no, those little instructions and titles, including the attribution of who wrote them, those are all in the original. They're all originally there in the Old Hebrew. So when it says a Psalm of David, that's not the conjecture of a later person saying, tradition tells us David wrote this. No, no, that's in the original saying David wrote this one. And of course, David wrote a bunch of them. You remember the young David when you find him the first time when he shows up in the story? What's he like? He's a music boy, right? He's a music lover. He plays the harp and such. So it makes good sense that he's a songwriter. Not everybody's a songwriter. Not everybody has any kind of musical ability. And if uh, you know if you're looking for justice on that front, take it up with your Maker. So, yeah, one inequality that no politician's going to fix for you is music inequality. Some people, brother and sister, can't sing. And some people can. And uh, yeah, no law can fix that one. David could. David was musically inclined, like some of you are. And so he wrote a bunch of them. But he's not the only Psalmist. And so you have, for example, one is attributed even to Moses. You have one attributed to Solomon. you got some attributed to a guy named Asaph, not as well known. Nobody's naming their kid after Asaph. Asaph apparently was um, like a musical leader of some kind, music director. Uh, you've got the two Ezraites, as they're called, Heman the Ezrite and Ethan. Heman not to be confused with He-Man, who rides upon the large battle cat and defeats Skeletor by the power, what is it, of Greystoke? Anybody old enough to remember Different guy completely. You've also got uh, Jedithun and the Sons of Korah, different writers of these psalms. A lot of times you read the psalms, you've got little liturgical or musical terms, by which I mean, you know, like they were meant to be technical instructions about how worship would be done. The order of worship, when you do it, how you do it. And frankly, to be honest, we don't fully even understand all what those terms mean. There's a lot of debate about what a lot of those technical words meant, for the worship originally, uh, how it was to be done. <clears throat> the best example of that is the word you see a lot of times, selah. You see it, right? You've noticed this? Now, one of the one of the main conjectures on that is that it's supposed to be a kind of break or pause. And, in fact, I've seen worship services where they will actually even incorporate the word. Maybe there's a time when they pause and Sort of like go to quiet reflection or a prayer for a few minutes, and it'll even say the word selah. Sort of using that idea. We don't necessarily have it nailed down what those are, but but see, they're important because this is a book for worship. It's a book used in worship always from Israel through the church. Now look, all you gotta do is look this morning at how many how often we used it, and incidentally, I did not tell the staff or anybody, hey, we're going to be doing focusing on psalms, so let's really make an effort to get psalms in the worship. I didn't, they didn't even know. But, as is often the case, we began with a call to worship. Jeremy read to you from Psalm 138, I think it was, because the psalms call you to worship. So most of the time, a call to worship is from a psalm. And then we sang, did we not? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing. From Psalm 19. So, sort of just naturally and even organically, the church finds itself reading, quoting, singing psalms. It's a call to worship. The prayers we pray echo the psalms because it's worship. And as the psalms got compiled in their final form, They became more and more important to the worship of Israel so that someone even called it the hymn book of the second temple. So like after the temple was built, you know, some of you are doing that read-through-the-Bible plan, so you've done Ezra, and it's up to Nehemiah now, so you see about how they rebuilt the temple that had been demolished, and it's later in Israel, so they have a more compiled, complete psalms that, that take on more and more importance in what happens in there, and they use it as their hymn book. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the theology of the Psalms. The themes we encounter in the Psalms include, but are not limited to these. So we've got to start with the prominent figure of Psalms. Who else would be the prominent figure? It is God. The Psalms are extremely God-centered. So the Psalms then are not uh, like a lot of pop Christian-type music sometimes. where I mean, the Psalms were not songs about the people in Israel about their feelings and their choices and their, um, what they're going through and then sort of throwing in um, sort of a token religious reference to God or just a quick appeal to God. Or No, the Psalms are thoroughly God-centered. I mean, God takes center stage in all of the Psalms. There's no mistaking who the main person is. So all of the virtues and attributes of God are extolled. Throughout the Psalms, we echo them a lot when we're talking about all the many things we say about God. Joy is one of the themes, and so there are Psalms for the good times. You read a lot of Psalms that talk about the celebration and the blessings and all the things that people enjoy, and they give God praise for those things as they mention them, and they enumerate those things. So there's songs of joy. Uh, Some of them include things like creation, and so you've got... Some fantastic poetry that talk all about the mountains and the depths of the sea and the waters and you know you get all the different animals and all the majesty of all the created things. Again, specified and enumerated in poetic lingo creation in the Psalms. But it's not all positive and good news because the Psalms are realistic. The Psalms are real life songs. People, a lot of times, like music. I know some of you like music. If we got your playlist from you, we'd probably find some songs in it that are depressing. Wouldn't we? You know what they are. Dark songs about hard times. And every genre has it. Right? Not just country music. Right? My woman ran off with my dog and got drunk and then came back and then shot me and stole my truck and I don't know what happened. But it's all bad. Some songs are bad news, and it's in every genre. So that there, you know, we we sometimes. But but those don't have redeeming value a lot of times. A lot of those songs, it's no silver lining. You you listen to those, and you just feel bad, and there's there's no upside to them. But the psalms are realistic. In that, even though God has always forever got control of things, and the psalm the psalmist placed. The psalm writers place their hope in God. They trust God in the end, in the final say. However, I mean, they lived real life. You know the life of David. Didn't have a few valleys in between those peaks. David had some deep valleys and some hard times. And how do we know how hard they were? Read the psalm. They're pretty hard. So there's are anguished laments and prayers. He's saying, help me. I really need help. I'm really in a bad way. And they call out for justice. And even as Harold mentioned earlier, there's the confidence that God will do justice. He's going to do justice, but since you don't see it happening, you don't necessarily feel like it's happening, the psalmist will sort of cry out and say, come on, when? How long? Can't you, can't you fix this now? And they're, they're pretty brutally honest sometimes. How long? Why do you hide away? Where are you? That's real stuff. Well, the Psalms are sometimes prophetic. They look ahead and they're sort of like little types and shadows, as we say. Prophetic things about the future, including, of course, messianic passages. So all you got to do is read the Gospels to see this, that there are messianic passages. Passages about a future king. Of course, there are what we call royal psalms. David is a king, is he not? So there are psalms of royalty, and a lot of the royal psalms are not just about that king, but about a future king who's going to sit on that same throne. So they're messianic, and they look at a future hope. Well, I don't have room to list them all, but I kind of throw them in a category called the others. So you have psalms that give thanks. you got psalms that confess sins. And ask for forgiveness. There are Psalms that are what we call imprecations. Yeah, you're thinking, better look that up. Imprecatory Psalms, where the psalmist actually calls down for justice on the enemies. We talked about this, I think, a couple of Wednesdays ago. And these are challenging sometimes, but it's where, sort of like, you know, David being done wrong by all of the people out to get him calls and says, Fight my battle, take my side, help defeat my enemies. And then there's remembrance of deeds, things that great, the great things God has done. Some of the psalmists sort of help, which you can imagine, it helps Israel, and it helps us remember that, that history. And there's even more than that. And I'll show you another thing that I stole that somebody had done here, where you can find these on the internet, by the way, where if you just want to see sort of breakdowns of the different psalms and how the different numbers... You know, you can sort of see, and this is not exhaustive because it's a long book. But, so, well, which Psalms are like hymns? Which Psalms which are like the laments? Well, somebody has listed a whole bunch of them. Which one of the, I'm looking for a Psalm of Thanksgiving. There's a bunch of them. And you can find longer lists than this because the, the Psalms have been the subject of a whole lot of study and research and people sort of pouring over them and thinking about them. And even itemizing sort of which Psalms say what things. So, as New Testament then believers, we look to we look to those apostolic writings and we look at the Gospels, and even if we hadn't, even if somehow, let's say the book of Psalms had been lost, but we had our New Testament, we would find a whole lot of psalm terminology. Even just through all of those writings in the New Testament, because the New Testament writers, we all know that the New Testament writers and the Apostles quote the Old Testament a lot, do they not? They quote the scriptures as they knew them. Because for the people in that era, for for the early Christians and the apostles, if they said the scriptures, they meant primarily the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. And they quoted it a lot. Any guesses? Which book that the New Testament writers quote with more frequency than any other? Ding, ding, ding. Habakkuk, that's right. No. If you said Psalms, you've at least been awake most of this time so far. Obviously, it's the Psalms. The Psalms are quoted more often than any other Old Testament book by the New Testament writers. And Jesus himself... Who quoted plenty of scripture? Quotes the Psalms more often than he quotes any of the other books. So there's a another another handy list that, uh, in full disclosure, I simply pasted here. Didn't uh, type this out. If you, if for the he who has eye an eye to squint and see it, let him read. So. Many occasions. So, for example, in, in these these times, some of which are famous uh, occasions in the Gospels. So, in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when the chief priests challenge him, he says to them at one point, "Have you not read the Scriptures?" And then he quotes to them, "The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone." Psalm 118. He tells his followers in John 15 that the world will hate them because it hated him. Then he says, but the word in their law must be fulfilled, which is, they hated me without cause. And here he's quoting exactly from Psalm 35. And as I'm sure you know, from the cross, he says those words that they The writers even keep keep it in Aramaic because that's how important they considered him. There's a little Aramaic line and he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Exact words from Psalm 22. On many occasions throughout the New Testament, probably some verses in the New Testament books that you say, I like that verse, that's a great verse, I really like it. And it's, and it's a quote that existed first in a psalm. And of course, we would not be able to go through, frankly, all of the hymns and choruses that we've all sung that came directly from the Psalms. A lot of people who grew up in church grew up singing words of the Psalms, some of them not even realizing it. Because, you know, let's face it, a whole bunch of people are raised in church but don't really necessarily read or study their Bible all that much, but they remember the music. So they may not even be aware of how many of the Psalms they know because they sang them and they stuck in their heads. And they don't necessarily realize that those are psalms. So for everybody who grew up back in the day and went to church and they would sing, clap your hands, all ye people, shout to the government. Remember that? Yeah. A psalm. Or how about when they would sing, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord... Anybody remember that one? To the psalms. And of course, Jeremy's all-time favorite. As the deer panteth for the water. Listen, don't. Incidentally, don't ever blame the psalm, the writer, if you don't care for the particular arrangement and style and pace and music to which it was set. That's on somebody else. The lyrics are solid, even if in some cases you're not. You're not the biggest fan of the tune. Or even how about Better is one day in your courts You know, it, was, it wasn't it a couple of weeks ago we were up here just running through some things the band was running through, and there was one of those songs we were going through and it, it just dawned on me that kind of had the exact same progression and sound as that song and I just sort of made a reference to it like, hey, that sounds just like that song and even though I hadn't sung that song in some years And I don't think anyone else up here had sung it in some years. Without any preparation and without missing a beat, we just sort of instinctively sang through it. I mean, like we had practiced it for an hour. Just perfectly, didn't we? And that's just a testament to how familiar it stayed, even, I don't know what, how long ago would that have been? Six to eight to ten years, and maybe when that was really popular? These songs stay with people. And by the way, all those kind of songs we could go through, that's just in English. See, when you pray the prayers of the Psalms or when you sing the Psalms, you're kind of joining in. The prayers you pray when you pray the Psalms, you're echoing the prayers that are for generations past and in countless languages around the world. They all prayed those prayers. And they're all today praying those prayers around the world because it's the Psalms. That's pretty cool. When you sing the Psalms and you're sort of joining that same throng, a massive chorus, a big choir, too big to count from all over, the nations everywhere, and all the generations of people who have passed on, all singers of the same words. You're joining in because this is the Psalms. It's the hymn book and the prayer book. Of the people of God, instructing us all the way as we use it. it. This this book builds the church all together across the years and across all the borders. We got it in common. By the way, would it be considered odd? I mean, does it strike you as strange at all that this of all books, this book, a book that is comprised of songs, that it would be most popular, most referenced, most searched, that people would that it would be so beloved? It shouldn't surprise you at all. I mean, think, think to yourself about the words that stay in your mind the best and the longest. The words that really kind of have the staying power, that stand to your memory, and they're just there, and you don't forget them. Are they prose? Is it, it prose? Are they from past lectures you heard on a subject? No matter how valuable that lecture was and what you learned from it, did those words stay with you? Did they stick in your mind? How about lines from great essays or articles that you read? Probably not. Because you see, it's always the poetic word. It's that, you know, I I love certain quotes because not just of what they are saying, but how they put it. It's words said in a certain way. That's why poetry does that. Wasn't it one of the uh, Romantics, uh, Shelley, that said uh, that once said poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world? Because when you put things in verse and it's memorable, then it it's like it's like a virus that that stays in the mind of everybody who heard it, and they can't even shake it out because it was well said. Right that's what that's what poetry is. I think Alexander Pope said it's it's what oft was thought but ne'er so well expressed. Never was it put just like that. And so we remember psalms better and we like them because they're they're music. They're poetry, they're lyrical. And that somewhat sets the psalms apart from most of the scripture because it's because of the lyric And, of course, it's not just any song. You know, it's funny. um, This applies, just to show how true this is, this applies, the staying power, even when the words are, frankly, just, I don't know, nonsense or meaningless. You remember words that got no meaning. They mean nothing to you. You don't even know what they mean. You may not even understand them, which, incidentally, is kind of the history of pop music, frankly. I mean, some pop music has had meaningful lyrics, but a bunch of it doesn't necessarily have meaningful lyrics. But everybody knows them. They don't even know what they mean. They might mean nothing. I mean, how powerful and meaningful is Tootie Fruity Oh Rudy Awap Bapaloo Bop Awap Bamboo Yes. I mean, come on. This is just... But, But you remembered it. You know, it could be anything. And, can, and some of it's very popular stuff the world over. John Lennon wrote songs that lots of people sang, even though sometimes they have lyrics like, and I quote, Simolina Pilchard climbing up the Eiffel Tower, elementary penguins singing Hari Krishna. Man, you should have seen them kicking. Edgar Allan Poe, all topped off with, of course, I am the walrus. What does it mean, man? Nothing. It means don't do drugs. <laughs> That's what it means. You think all the, you think all those hippies in the '60s, were I mean, they thought they were they thought they had a lot of powerful meaning behind them, but you know, a lot of confusion mixed in. Otherwise, how do a bunch of people follow a guy like Manson around? He's nuts. You can mistake. Crazy people for prophetic and profound people. Just because they've got a certain way with words, maybe. Well, music, of course, can be fun like that. There's nothing wrong with it. Music can be just fun. Boy, music music is appreciated and loved by everybody all over the world. I wonder who invented it. I'd like to thank them. Yeah, see, music is another powerful indicator I like uh, one guy. I read one time. He said his favorite argument for the existence of God was simply this: music exists, therefore, God must exist. Amen. How could how could a blind and meaningless, you know, existence of a bunch of uh, upright mammals walking around on a rock just a certain distance away from a certain star? How could music exist if that's our storyline? where would music have come from? So music is, it's a blessing and it's a gift, and it can just be for fun and just for kicks. However, it can also be the accompaniment for the most important things and the most profound truths. And I think it's probably music is at its best when it is that. So make no mistake, the Psalms were not all the pop hits of ancient Israel. All your drive-time favorites Right here on Jerusalem, 105. No, no, no. The the Psalms were not pop hits. The Psalms were the songs that taught and crafted and shaped the minds and reminded and instructed the people. They built up the nation. They, They reinforced the shared understanding that they were taught from childhood, from the law and the prophets and the writings. So the psalms, what they do is, they expand our thinking. They sharpen our minds. The psalms deepen our souls. The psalms are the music of revealed and divine truth. Let's pray together. And just to do something special, as we pray, and in a spirit of prayer, We will use the Psalms. And so let's pray together. I invite you to pray words from the Psalms along with me so that we will begin with praise in the words of Psalm 145. And we say, My God, O King, I will bless Thy name forever and ever. Every day I will bless Thee. And I will praise Thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. And so, Lord, one generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. And I will speak of the glorious honor of your majesty and of your wondrous works. And still we say, with Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives our iniquities, who heals our diseases, who redeems our life from destruction, who crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies our mouth with good things, so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed, And as we continue in prayer, we pray confession and forgiveness in the Psalms' uh, words, the Psalmist's words from 139. We say, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And from Psalm 51. We cry out and say, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out our transgressions and wash away all our iniquity and cleanse us from sin. For I know that my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in what you speak, justified when you judge. And then finally, we give thanks in all these things, echoing the words of Psalm 86. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with a whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me, for you have delivered my soul from the depths. Amen. Amen.